podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I am your co-host, Menas. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Paul, good evening, sir. How are you? G'day, Menas. Good, everyone. Very good. Very good indeed. Yeah, so we're here to record a preview for the World Test Championship final that begins this Wednesday, this Wednesday night, Australian time, um, and obviously Wednesday in London, being played at the Oval. And it's the culmination of two years of gripping test cricket, and now the two best sides are locking horns to see who will be crowned the World Test Champion. Now, famously, New Zealand won the inaugural World Test Championship final, beating India. So now India have a second bite of the cherry. Uh, Paul, I think it's a fairly muted build-up to the World Test Championship final. I think the fact that it's come out of the IPL, there's very little news coming out of the Indian camp. The Australian camp is pretty subdued. So overall, uh, you know, I would say pretty light build-up so far. Yeah, I never know how to... um how to consider these things anymore because partially I think it's just the modern, the splintering of things into a million different ways that I still think of had we been back 30 years ago when everyone watched channel nine news or channel seven news. And that's basically it. um, They would be pumping it up and pumping it up and there would be more chatter, but that's about everything. Like, I mean, we we talked about before the state of origin came up surprising me the other night. The the A-League grand final was on last night um, or the night before or something like that. I had no idea. Like, um, so I think it's part of the modern way that there doesn't seem to be that same build-up that there once was for for big series. Because I can even feel that way about the Ashes. Although I have noticed, pleasingly, just in the last day, there started to be a, a sprinkling of Ashes articles really appearing in the in the newspapers and some World Test Championship ones as well. I actually think that India are quite big about this. I think that uh, everyone says that the IPL dominates, and it does. I think there's been a real switch of attention from India and they are very keen, um, very keen to win this, obviously. But I think maybe keener than some Australians might expect they are, the average person in India. Yes. Uh, look, just a warning. I did try and get to the no ball sound there when you brought up the state of origin and the A-League, but I didn't quite get to the no ball sound quick enough. So, I think uh, it is important that, that um, the people on this podcast do feel calm and able to ref- <laughs> um, express their opinions without being um, under yep. the threat of that. So I think... That was good that you couldn't get it. I think if I went on for <laughs> five minutes, maybe, but for, for, for a, a very oblique, relevant uh, mention, I think, yeah, keep your finger easy on the tri- trigger, champion. I can just imagine there's like hundreds of people in India Googling A-League. What is this? Um, <laughs> uh, look, so, um, but just also, I think as well, the fact that both teams are fairly settled, which makes sense. They're the two, bit, you know, formed sides in the world, but there's no real sort of gripping debates about, you know, makeups to the 11, uh, you know, a lot of that sort of is coming around the weather. So fairly muted. But, um, I mean, let's start with the Australian camp. Just before, can I go on a bit of a rant about that? Yes, um, go for it. Uh, now, I, I haven't gone back and actually pieced together the exact quotes from George Bailey, which, uh, so forgive me for that. But listening to Jared Waitley, who I love um, about a week ago or so, they've mentioned it a couple of times that, uh, the 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 mail out of the Australian selectors has kind of been that they wanted to pick a side for the World Test Championship final that reflected the that was indicative of the side that had been there on the journey throughout the two years, and that one of the reasons that maybe that Warner was a you know he's he's now sort of being talked more about a lock for the first Ashes Test anyway, but for a while they were now talking about 
We're guaranteeing him a spot in the World Test Championship final, but as for the Ashes, that's a different kettle of fish. There was that feeling of, well, he's kind of earned his right to be there because he's been part of the side that's topped the table. And they've even sort of drawn um, reference to the fact that, well, Nisa hasn't really been part of that two-year program. So that's part of the reason why he wasn't considered for um, the, the squad either. Now, have I accurately um, – is that accurate, what I've just said then? Yes. Well, that is insane. That is just absolutely stupid from the, on behalf of the selectors. Like, that's lovely if it's a story – if it's a, um, you know, uh, who gets to get the – go up and accept the chocolates at the work um, dinner for whoever's put the, the most effort into organising the trivia night. This is professional sport. Um, no other sport in the world would countenance that. Can you imagine a soccer manager? Don't put your no ball, your stupid no ball sign on here. Can you imagine a soccer <laughs> manager saying, well, we've made it to the FA Cup final and um, we recently signed Messi. But and he'd probably be cup tied, so that probably wouldn't be allowed. But anyway, but, um, you know, he didn't play in the warm up games, so we can't click pick Messi in the final. We're going to have to just consider, you know, keep going with the with the player that we have had. Now, it's just it should not come into it at all, and it wouldn't come into it. As I said before, if you said to George Bailey and the other selectors, you have to put your entire everything in your bank account has to be plonked on the result of this game. They wouldn't then say, "Well, are we going to reward players who've been in this?" No, you pick your best eleven. Now. I actually want Warner in there. I think he's definitely deserves to be in there, but not because he's played a part in it in leading up to now. It's not some sort of charity convention. It's meant to be professional sport. Cricket should be um, much more professional in approach. I think it's uh, ridiculous that the selectors would even dare to say that. Uh, am I mad? No, you're not mad. And if Neeson's bowling better, you would yeah. pick him ahead of Boland and Hazelwood. I don't think he – I think Boland suited to those conditions. But you're right. There's no reason to have a principled standard. This is not the first stupid thing George Bailey said. He he said when he was asked – when he appointed Pat Cummins as the 50-over skipper for Australia's side, he was asked about the – the 50 over world cup at the end of this year and you know what that might mean to the 11 and he kind of said well I haven't really thought about that and that, and so I just think uh, he's he's made a few silly comments and this is another one uh, I think that I think one thing about Bailey is though I take everything with a little bit of grain of salt because I think he knows how to play the media sometimes maybe I think he, maybe. Do, I think he does try and keep his cards close to his chest and he gets himself in trouble when he sort of spins a bit of uh, BS just to keep the the scribes happy but yeah I totally on board with you just pick your best team and as I said I think Warner definitely is mm. in the best team I think that Nisa should have come into strong consideration for being in this squad for this game though um, also on that on that note, um, and we'll probably touch on it during the show, but today David Warner has announced that he's, um, was it yesterday? I can't remember, that he's um, going to retire from test cricket at the end of the third test against Pakistan at the SCG in this upcoming summer. And again, there's a bit of talk of, oh, this puts the selectors under sort of some sort of pressure because that, you know, be a bit churlish to deny him uh, a spot in the side until then. And again, it should have nothing to do with it. If, if, Lee, if he's picked in every test match up until then and then – Going into that final test, they realise that on balance, it's actually worth dropping him. Drop him then. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a charity. You did it to Ian Healy. Well, they should have done it ten years earlier. Uh, oh, here we to go. Ian Healy, <laughs> maybe great five player. Years, not Ian 10 years. Healy, wonderful maybe player. Two, three years, not five years, not ten. I tell you before, I've told you on this show before. You read Adam Gilchrist's book. He was playing cricket in England in 1989, uh, league cricket or something. I said played some sort of game at Lords. And as he walked off, Dickie Bird, the umpire, came and tapped him on the shoulder and said, 
the Australian selectors, if they had any brains, would drop Ian Healy now and put you in the side. They took a decade to do it. Now, I accept it was a bit early in 1989, although it wasn't, but you know, you, the, the runs weren't on the board. But certainly 95, 96, 97, that was the time to make the change. And it would have been very harsh on Healy, who was one of my favourite players and was a phenomenal cricketer. But Kilchrist is, as I said before, he is the best cricketer I've ever seen. Um, you know, that, that's what you've got to make the choice. And again, this, this, I should be not getting so angry about something the selectors did all those years ago. But then at the end of his career, Trevor Holmes had the gall to say that the replacement of Healy by Gilchrist was one of the things he was proudest of. He should have done it five years earlier, or at least three years earlier. You attempted to play well, the no-ball music then, weren't you? No, no, no. I was going to – well, that, that was cricket talk. Um, I, I was just, you yeah, need a different just gonna, one. <laughs> No, no, no. I was just – because I was just thinking if I'd had a podcast at that time when Healy was dropped, I was, like, blowing up. Like, you can't drop Ian Healy from your oh, one-day side. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, oh yeah. that, credit to you for having the guts to say that publicly, man. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. I'm proud also of your Mark, Also thought Mark Taylor should have played more one-day cricket. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, All right, now let's get, let's get into the World Test Champ- <laughs> Championship final. Uh, Australia, they've had to, so they've taken a 17 player squad over for the Atchards and this tour, but uh, regulations for the World Test Championship final, only 15 are allowed in that squad. So Mitch Marsh and Matt Renshaw have been eliminated from the tour already. They're not part of the 15. And then for the starting 11 for Australia, there's very little issues. I mean, we've got the, the top six that played. In India, with Warner coming back at the top and heading Head moving to five, so you'll have Warner, Kawaja, Labashane, Smith, Head, Green, Carey, and then you will have Cummins, Stark, Lyon. That seems to be the the ten players that seem to be locked in. And then the the sort of final debate is around Hazelwood's fitness. All the reports are coming out that he is bowling well at the moment, but I believe none of that. Uh, Hazelwood often says that, and then the day after he's got a little, little niggle and he's out for weeks. So um, I would be sort of – I'd be favouring Scott Boland in a six-day test match. Yeah, I agree with what, what you said there, that those 10 are locks, and I think if Hazelwood was fit, he would be a lock as well. Um, I love Hazelwood, but I'm kind of – I feel same as you, that unless he is 100% fit, then I wouldn't risk him. And part of me, I really do want to see how Boland goes um, in, in those conditions too. But, yep, um, uh, can't disagree with any of that. Yeah, I just don't think Hazelwood's worth the risk. Mm. Uh, especially when you've got five tests, you know, six tests in seven weeks in the entire tour. Um, let's, yeah, as we say, err on the side of caution. Now, just before we get into the Australian preview a little bit more in depth, with the weather conditions in London, I don't know, Paul, if you've been um, getting on the old iPhone or the the meteorological websites, but I've had a look and the weather in London looks sunny. So it looks like a sunny week in London, which means you would think, judging from what we saw at Lords in the Island, England tests fairly good batting conditions, it doesn't look like it's going to be cold and wet. So it's going to, it's sort of shaping up for really good, even conditions. And that means sort of at the oval, you could see a bit of pace and bounce early and then a little bit of spin towards the end. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually looked at it yet. I tend to look closer to the time just um, because the, the longer out's a bit, it's a bit tough, but yeah, it looks really nice. Um, low twenties rising up to sort of mid twenties by the end of the test. We had, um, Dan Norcross on our preview of the Ashes. If you haven't listened to that, it's a great episode. Uh, he's fantastic. Go back and and, and listen to that. But um, he, he kind of made the point that 
the oval is a really good wicket in terms of it's fair to everyone. It, it gives gives something for everyone, and um, the sort of that a score of three hundred is kind of um, the sort of score you can kind of expect, which is ideal. Like you know, it's not a it's not a belter. There is something in it for the bowlers, and uh, but there's um, and, and the spinners I think should be playing a bit of a part the whole way through. He said it probably not warm enough yet for it to really disintegrate. But um, and I said at the time it's kind of like a pretty decent um, averaging out of the Australian and England and Indian conditions, and I think that's pretty true. So uh, it it could be just about the perfect pitch. Mm. So looking good, the oval. I think we'll see um, fairly good. I think we'll see sort of rich, entertaining cricket, a bit of pace and bounce early, enough pace for stroke play. Um, so, yeah, really exciting. I, I was a bit worried that you know, if it was a really sort of wet, cloudy week, then it, it could sort of be a bit of a lottery, you know, if you're batting at the wrong time and get the worst of conditions. But hopefully we don't get that. Yeah, I agree. And the, the fact that it's sold out and it's sold out from so long ago is is wonderful. I I must admit that it surprised me when it sold out right back when. I, I honestly thought that it was going to be the sort of test that would be half full each day. So congratulations to the people of London. Congratulations to anyone from India or Australia who's flown over for it. Um, and magnificent. Like, it's, it's, I'm really, really excited for it. Absolutely. All right, so just continuing on with some of the news out of the Australian camp. As I said, there's been very little sort of press conferences and stuff, but David Warner spoke to the media and uh, Paul mentioned before that he flagged he wants to retire at the end of the Pakistan Test Series in the upcoming Australian summer. Do you think he'll make it that far? I hope so um, because, you know, he is fading a bit, but I still don't, I still think that I would prefer him to the alternatives. Do I think he will? Uh, I think it's probably 60-40, yes. Uh, just more like, maybe 70-30, maybe yes. I think they will be reluctant to drop him and not for sentimental reasons, but I think that they realise that, as I said, the, the alternatives are decent, but there's no one knocking down the door to get in, I don't think. That's true. And when Warner announced this, he did preface it by saying he knows he has to score runs. So if he has a very lean Ashes tour, um, that could put a, you know, if he has a lean start to the series, that could put a lot of pressure on him. And then maybe the selectors think, well, those three tests, we'd rather blood a new opening pair than um, have Kawaja and Warner sticking around for one more summer. So uh, I'm not so sure. Well, yeah, I mean, a 30, 30% chance he wouldn't is, is mm. um, definitely a possibility, a strong possibility. Um, and I think it'll come down to results as well, that if Australia were to, for example, lose the World Test Championship final and Warner failed in both innings, then he would, the pressure would suddenly, which has been subsiding a bit about his spot in the first Ashes Test, would suddenly reach a crescendo again. And it may, that, that may be it. Um, or if he then did linger into the first Ashes test and if we were to lose that and he didn't score, I think that actually meant. So mm. it could be quite quick, but I, I hope that, you know, I hope he's there to retire at Sydney. You'll be happy because he said in this press conference that he thinks he has to be more positive against Stuart Broad this tour. He has to play more shots. He, he thought he was poking around a bit by the end of the last Ashes tour. And you said numerous times throughout the summer that he wasn't playing aggressive enough. Well, I agree, but it's... It's tough because um, you can look ordinary that if, if Broad comes in and, he, and you slash at one and you're caught at third slip and you walk off, everyone says, well, you could have left that. What are you doing? So you've got to have the courage of your convictions and and ride your luck. But I think that 
you know, take the alternative point of view and go out there with the approach of just trying to survive, then there's very little future in that. I can't see how that that's going to succeed. So, yeah, I agree. All right. He also said that um, that the seam on the Duke's ball for this upcoming summer's not as pronounced as it has been when they've toured England in the past. So he thinks that uh, he said that the England team had asked for a more prominent seams a few years ago, but they've backed off that, especially with Basball. I guess you wouldn't want that. So um, might be a bit easy to bat anyway. And uh, he also floated the possibility that he thinks the World Test Championship final should be a three-test series. Now, Paul, just taking out all the vagaries of the schedule and the IPL and all that stuff, if there was time, do you think like this would be better if it was a three-test series or worse? Oh, I think in a perfect world, it would be better. A perfect world, I'd have a five-test series, one test in every continent or something. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> grand tour. You go from South Africa to Australia to New Zealand up to the West Indies, to England. Okay, and now we're talking. India, Pakistan. Make it a make it a nine-test tour. Um, yeah. But, Take um, all yeah, the teams I, on the road. <laughs> I, I think in that idyllic world, yes, it would be better. But in the real world... A, it's never going to happen because of the schedule. And B, you would probably lose a little bit. Like the fact that the Oval is sold out and there's this climax feeling. If there was going to be a test match after that at Manchester and then another test match after that in um, Birmingham or something like that, I think it would lose a little bit. Neutral tests, um, they're a bit of a risk, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, there you go. That's my answer. Okay, because I, I, I agree with you. I think if it went to three tests, that might take away from it because I like the fact that it's this one six-day test, everything on the line, like a World Cup final in, in football. I'll no-ball myself there. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm happy with the one test. <laughs> one thing on that is um, it, it's six days if needed. So, uh, And I think that's fantastic. And I know they can't do it, but it should be for every test match. Uh, but what it means is that it doesn't mean that if there are six fine days that you'll play into the sixth day, it means that if there's any rain, you know, if three hours were rained off on day three, then you can have um, three hours of, of play on day six. Uh, it's a little bit more complex than that. As always, cricket, they love to um, make things <laughs> complex. But um, looking at the forecast, as you said, it might not actually be an issue. I think it will be just a, a five-day game. And sort of I was sort of thinking about the Australian side, who I think – you know, the crucial players for Australia. And obviously you've got, I think, Cummins and Stark with the new ball, vital, especially Stark. If his radar's good and the ball swings early for him, he could just rip through that Indian top order. We saw shades of that in the Indian tour. But actually I was looking at sort of head and green at five and six, Paul, because I think India have got a good attack and I think they'll they'll nip out some of our top order players. But when Head and Green come out there, there'll be the opportunity to score quickly and attack. And I think they're vital. You know, I think if they have a good test match, we could win this final. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I do think that Stark is the key of the bowlers in the sense that the, you know, we know almost certainly Cummins is going to bowl well. He always does. You know what you're going to get from Lyon. Um, and whether it's Boland or Hazelwood, pretty consistent what you're going to get. Stark is the one who mixes his performances the most. That uh, if, if it's the if it's the best of Mitchell Stark, then look out India. But if it's the worst of Mitchell Stark, then we'll look back and say maybe they shouldn't have picked him. I, I, I'm almost a little bit nervous. I, I think I would have gone with Nisa over Stark um, uh, in this in this match. But I could certainly well, acknowledge Stark's played in the last two years. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I certainly acknowledge that um, 
uh, he could be a match winner um, as well. Yeah, the, the batting lineup's interesting that um, we sort of just accept that Warner, sorry, that Smith and Labashain are going to dominate. Uh, as we'll discuss later, their records in England are amazing. So you've got Kawaja, Green and um, Head. Uh, we've talked about, already about Warner, but those three are such intriguing prospects. Uh, Kawaja hasn't had enormous success in England, although his overall record's not too bad in a place that's notoriously difficult to bat. And you'd say with both Kawaja and Head that they are in the form of their lives. Then Green, coming over to England um, without any kind of experience in English conditions, it's a it's a lot to expect him to hit the ground running. But there's a sort of parallel between him and Shubman Gill. Shubman Gill has played a little bit in England, but um, two sort of prodigious talents, it's going to be very interesting to see how they go. And what do you think a win for Australia would mean to their legacy? Um, I, I think it will kind of be entwined with the Ashes as well, that if, if they were to win this and the Ashes, then um, I think that would it would feel that they had fulfilled their potential. I think that if they were to do that, then excluding the Australian side of the very late 90s and into about that 99 through 2006 period, where, and it depends on which iteration of the side you pick, I think that that along with the Australian side of 48 and the West Indian side of the mid-80s are the three best test cricket sides of all time. This side's not in the same parish as that, but but no side is. But taking that aside, I would then say that if, if this side can win the Ashes and win the, um, uh, not just win the Ashes, but win the series um, and also win the World Test Championship, I think they would then probably rise above the Australian side of the early 90s as the best Australian side of the, the last 40 or so years, excluding that amazing period. I don't know. What do you reckon? Well, I think that for a start, just for a legacy piece, I think this team has sort of struggled to get that sort of iconic moment as a test side yet. So this could be it. They, they didn't win in 2019 in England. They didn't win in India this year. So I think this could be that iconic moment thereafter as a test side. And if yeah. they do it, then, um, you know, it'll sort of rubber stamp their greatness. <laughs> I don't think, it's, you know, I don't think they'll ever be regarded as a great side, uh, in mm. my opinion. I think it'll rubber stamp yeah. them as, as a very good side. Yes. Whereas if they... And the best in the world at the moment. Yes, Whereas if they lose the World Test Championship final and then, you know, get belted in the ashes, I think then that they'll, they'll be looked back upon as the side that kind of let a few get slip away. You know, we'll look at some, you know, the Indian tour just now, not closing out the series win in 2019, that very decent side that possibly uh, could have done a little bit better. Maybe a little bit like the golden generation of the English football side of the... Um, of the 1990s minutes. Exactly what I was thinking. Just couldn't get that <laughs> cup. But, but also, it's it's a sort of a team, it's an interesting team because actually, you know, it's full of some of Australia's very best test cricketers in the last 20, 30 years. You know, you look at Kawaja, Warner, Smith, Labashain, um, you know, Green could possibly be, the, you know, our best ever all-rounder. And then you've got the bowlers of, you know, they've all got over 200 test wickets apart from Scott Boland. So just on sort of paper, they are a, a great assembly of players, but are they a great team? I agree with you. Not, they're not. And, and that's kind of um, around the, you know, I, I I suppose you sort of set great at a pretty high threshold. That, that tired old cliche when people say, oh, the word great is overused, but this is blah, blah, blah. I hate that, but it's kind of, there's, there's some truth to it that we, we sort of reserve great for, for a, an absolutely top shelf team, and I think this team 
even if they win those, will comfortably be on the second shelf, which is not that is not meant as a criticism at all. Um, it's just when you look at that 99 or the 2006 side, uh, you just look at them and think, oh my God, that's just an unbelievable side. And it's very, very hard to, to, to compare with that. This team, it, you know, there's on certain lines of form, you could say they're not that far away, but I, I just think that there is a, a bit of a gap. And final question before we take a quick break for those listening on the podcast. Our listener, Stephen Kettle, has asked on Twitter, does the average Aussie know this is going on? What do you think, Paul? You're an average Aussie. You're out there um, with the, the average Aussies all the time. Um, Watching your NRL. <laughs> I, um, I, I think they will. Um, maybe they don't yet. The fact that it's on Channel Seven is very interesting, um, you know, and very welcome. This when was the last time that a, a non Ashes Test match played outside of Australia was on free to air television? Probably the '97 tour of South Africa, maybe. I might have forgotten one, but it's um, it's a long time ago. Um, the um, so the fact that it's on Channel Seven, the one of the two big networks, and presumably they'll whack it onto Seven Mate or whatever, but still. They were therefore you would expect advertise heavily during the. And I don't. I haven't been watching, but hopefully there's been plenty of ads on, and then hopefully in the news they will um, have plenty of reasons to put stories on. So I think that will definitely that really does help. It's you know in in we always say like in ten years it won't make a difference, but in 2023 being on free to air television still does make an uh, make a difference. So I think uh, maybe they're not talking about it yet, but I think it's going to amp up pretty quickly once the game starts. Especially if Australia does well, then the Aussies will be very, very happy. And and you're right, starting in prime time on free-to-air television, there, there is a sort of great history of, you know, Australians that watching that first couple of hours of cricket out of England in Ashes tours, but this is against India and um, that drawing in big audiences. So hopefully, you know, if, if Warner or if Warner could come out and belt a quick 50 in that first session or if Cummins and Stark can blow away a couple of wickets, then the Aussie fans will get excited. Even if it's just a close game, I think that will get them excited as well. That um, that's, that, that's, you know, if Australia's um, three for 600 after two days, yeah, it'll be pleased. But if it's a real, real ding-dong battle, that's what really gets people going. And yeah, you're right. It's um, uh, 1930 was the first time that there was any kind of uh, possibility of actually listening to it um live or at least quasi live um, on on radio and ever since it's not just staying up for the first session but there are plenty of people who've had a tradition of staying up all the way till 3 three thirty in the morning well we'll be doing that very soon all right we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our preview of the indian team All right, you're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. It's our preview of the World Test Championship final. We talked about Australia before the break. Now, Paul, what are your thoughts around this Indian team heading into the final? Um, well, obviously, it's a very good side and a very exciting side. Uh, you know, we might as well just go through them uh, player by player, I suppose. Um, but um, Let's do it. So... Shubman Gill is, I think, one of the most intriguing of all. That those who watched any of the IPL, he what he got three centuries in the space of um, four matches, uh, and seemed to have just taken steps to another level of like he is the next kind of um, anointed successor to Coley. Um, he's got a fi- an average of fifty three in first class cricket. His Test average is only thirty four, um, and 
he hasn't had much experience in English conditions. He played for India in their postponed fifth test uh, last summer, didn't do anything. Did play three county games for, Glam- for Glamorgan in September of 2022. He got a 92 um, and then he got uh, uh, 119 as well. So in those um, three games, he did show a, a fair bit. It's a big challenge to come straight from India, uh, as we're talking about with Cameron Green, uh, to English conditions where you haven't played there much before. But if anyone can do it, he can. And he's got that technique that plays some of those kind of back foot cover drives that with the minimum of movement and they just um, cannon off his bat to the boundary. So a phenomenally exciting player. Yeah, I agree. But that, that will be difficult. And <clears throat> India, you know, they've, they're very patchy when they play in England. They, they were patching in their series against England uh, last summer. Well, summer before last, then the series finished last summer. But, yeah, big challenge. And he's opening up with uh, Robert Sharma, the captain. Um, test average 46, first class average 54. His test average is amazing at home. Um, pretty good in England. He's averaging 42 in the six tests that he's played there. Didn't have the greatest IPL, but I look back, he's, he's had a few years where he hasn't had great IPLs, and that really hasn't sort of um, meant that he's out of form. His white ball, his, um, his red ball form has still been pretty decent. So a uh, little bit of David Warner in him. I think that if the pitch is um, a little bit on the flatter side, then he can absolutely destroy a side. Um, if it's moving all over the shop, then um, like Warner, like everyone, then he's a candidate to nick off. But another, you know, very, very good player. Big match for him. He's a proven finals winner. We've seen him with the Mumbai Indians. So he could be a sort of player that puts in a big performance for this final. I heard Ajinki Rahane talking about Sharma's leadership and said, you know, he keeps things pretty calm around the dressing room, very similar to Pat Cummins. You know, I think the inference from Rahane was things were a little bit more fiery and combustible when Coley was the leader. But, you know, Sharma's just taking a bit of sting out of the dressing room and everyone's feeling a bit more relaxed. So a big test for him, big test for his leg- test for his legacy. You know, if he's the captain that wins this for India, um, he'll be a hero. Yeah, definitely. And if they lose it, having been the losers last time around when they were really expected to beat New Zealand, um, that'll be very disappointing for the fans, obviously. Then we get to Coley. Um, you know, he's a great player, test average of 49. Um, he's been to England a fair bit. Uh, was diabolical in 2014 um, in first-class cricket. In all first-class cricket, there he only averaged 13. Hit back in 2018, averaged 59. Then in 2021, averaged 31. Um, and 2022, only played the two innings, averaging 16. So it's kind of been terrible, brilliant, and average. His overall first-class record, there is, there's no doubt there has been a drop. Um, you know, he did average 49 and a half this season in first class cricket in um, in India, but that's because that was just the four first class matches he played against Australia, the four tests. And that was largely influenced by the, the 186 he got in a road at the end. But just going through, looking at his first class averages um, before that, you know, in 2019-20 in India, he averaged 113. Then I'll quickly just go through. In New Zealand, he played two matches averaging nine and a half. India, four matches, averaging uh, 29. Australia, one match, averaging 39. England, five matches, averaging 31. India, three matches, averaging 23. South Africa, two matches, averaging 40. England, one match, averaging 16. Bangladesh, two matches, averaging 15. And then this last season in India, four matches, averaging 49.5. But as I said, 186 on a road. 
Apologies for reading out such a long list of figures, but I think it is notable that however way he cut it, and he's still a very, very good player, he doesn't have the same aura that he had four years ago, I don't think. He did look he did look very good during the IPL, looks in good nick. True. And he said that he was he was sort of protecting his test form by playing in a certain manner. So you never write off the king. And I'm not writing him off. I'm just saying that um five or six years ago when he came out to bat against Australia in a test match, I had that sort of it was a good feeling, actually, because it felt like I'm watching something pretty special. It's like, if we don't get him in the first 15 balls, well, you know, good luck. Uh, it doesn't quite have that feeling no. anymore. Um, but I'm certainly like not writing years, him off. There was like two years where when Smith and Coley came out to bat, you would you think, okay, probably yeah. going to see 100, but not quite the same now. Uh, did you just skip Pujara, by the way. Just Oh, I did too. Sorry, uh, Ch- Chetejwa. Um, and I shouldn't have skipped him because he's in great form. Um He's been playing county cricket. He scored 545 runs at 68 this season, and he's going along at a very decent crack for him. Like normally, he's kind of a guy that strike rate in the sort of in the 40s. He's been one of my guilty mu- guilty pleasures is just switching on the county feed, and you often see Pujara uh, battling away. Yeah, um, you know, it's not a guilty pleasure, man. It's just, you know, there are there are other things more sinful in life. That's pretty. Um, as far as guilty pleasures go, that's pretty. Um, Pretty low on the um, on the um, vice. Probably should be asleep or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So i I had thought he was finished. To be honest, I watched him. um, When was it? Uh, Maybe that was that one off test match. The 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 one that we're talking about that they had to um, play as a result of COVID um, a year later. And I watched him in that, and I was kind of cheering him on, feeling sorry for him uh, because I thought he was a very fine player who had kind of lost it, but. I think he's re- rebounded, and I actually think he's um, from from nowhere. He shapes as a real threat to Australia again. Uh, you know, he was the one that destroyed us back in that first time that we ever lost to India. Was it 2017-18 when he scored about 10,000 runs and faced 100 million balls? Um, I think he's back to some sort of good form. So that, he's a real threat, I think. Absolutely. He's made three centuries for Sussex already this season. 115, 151, and 136. You add in there a 77. So he comes in in, in top form. Yeah, you're right. And he's a player I really fear because he's just got the patience that he's not going to get himself out. You have to get him out. And I always fear those players. And I like the fact that he's been a bit more aggressive. So, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how he goes. Speaking of rejuvenation, uh, Rahane was a revelation uh, in this IPL. I mean, he's not that old. He's, he's, he's 34, but he... Uh, you know, he was another one that back at his very best, I used to think he was not much worse than Coley. Oh, there's a phenomenal player. And he was kind of back to that level in this um, in this IPL, playing some stunning innings. And so um, the only thing against him is that he has got a pretty poor record in England. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether the white ball form uh, in India can carry on to England. I think that it's unfortunate for him that this is where he's having to play his next big game. Uh, if he could be playing somewhere else... I think he would do really well, but his English record is not great. It's a great story, though, because he obviously led India to that famous victory in Australia a few seasons ago, and then his form really tapered off after that, and he was left out of the team. Also had a couple of injuries that hampered his rehab and his return. So good to see him back, a much-loved player of this team. But like you, uh, it's going to be tough against the Aussie attack on these pitches. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been around for a long time. Um, he first went to England in 2010, only played a handful of games, averaged 78, which was great. But then, and this is all first-class games. 
But then in 2014, he averaged 33. And then um, in 2018, he averaged 30. And 2019, averaged 24. And then 2021, averaged 19. So, um, yeah, you sort of look at that and think it's hard to see him absolutely dominating. But if it's a flattish wicket uh, and in the form he's in, um, if he gets a bit of luck, then, yeah, uh, he'll still make me nervous. And especially if Rohit Sharma says to his top order, go out there and be aggressive, play a little bit of Baz ball because and it's not going to do us any good poking around, be be positive, and, and that could be, you know, Rahane's best option. All right, um, KS Barrett next up, uh, the keeper, who I'm assuming that's who they pick, has a first-class average of 37, so that's uh, respectable. Very limited experience in England. Uh, he's only played the one first-class match, but I have found something, Menas. Um, those people out there, I've found a... A hidden match. Uh, so in hidden 2022. Match. <laughs> a hidden match. A hidden match. In 2022, before their one-off test match to conclude the 2021 series, as this, as is the case these days, the warm-up match they played was not a first-class match because they were presumably, you know, fielding 13 and, you know, swapping around a little. But it was um, against Leicestershire. And um, he did play in that. And he uh, top scored in the first innings with 70 not out and got 43 in the second innings as well. So... In trying to get some sort of record for him, I've cobbled together all the, that match plus the first-class games he's played in England, and I've thrown in New Zealand as well to try to find some sort of um, uh, body of work. And he scored 233 runs in 47 at 47 in some sort of equivalent condition. So he's he's potentially okay. I guess his chief competitor for the keeping spot is Ishan Kishan, the dashing left-hander who we saw for the Mumbai Indians in the IPL. I wasn't impressed by Barrett in Australia's tour of India. I thought he was – I sort of thought if he's India's second best keeper, that's not a great um, statement of the state of their wicket keepers. Obviously, we know Rishabh Pant's unfortunately still unavailable. So, yeah, I'm not impressed by Barrett. I think it's one area of weakness for India, and I think you could do no harm throwing Ishan Kishan at seven. And, you know, we were talking about Gilchrist before. I mean, he could be that Gilchrist, just uh, come in at seven and attack um, the bowling. Uh, yeah, I'd um, probably feel the same way. Um, you know, not not in the sense that um, his... Um, you're talking about his actual glovemanship, are you? Just the whole thing. I just thought he was unimpressive. Not a great keeper. Not not a particularly good gloveman. Didn't look good with the bat. I mean, there's nothing to me that thinks, wow. I mean, but the, the gap between him and Pant was sizable. Well, yeah, I think Pant's an absolutely super a superb player and India are going to miss him. Uh, as they'll miss Boombra. Um, but um, I, there was one innings that Barrett played uh, off the off my memory. He looked very ordinary early in the tour. But then there was an innings he played where he played with a bit more freedom and he looked okay. His first-class record is actually not that different to Ishan Kishan. He's, um, Ishan Kishan's strike rate's in the mid-60s. Uh, Case Barrett says 59 or something. So I think he can motor along a bit. So I think, um, to, to your point before, if um, Rohit Sharma frees them up to play their natural game, he might be actually a little bit better than you think. Okay. Um, all right. Moving on. We'll just stick to these players from a batting point of view. Uh, Jadeja probably coming next, one of my favourite players. Uh, he's got a, a first-class average of 30 in England. Uh, Ashwin following up after that, first-class average of 31. And Thakur, if they bring him in next, uh, averaging 25 uh, in first-class cricket in England. You know, I, I fear these three kind of um, all-rounders. I think that they're really good players. That is funny. They call him beefy. Um, like he's got this kind of um, 
golden touch. Um, <laughs> and I, he did something. I've seen it a couple of times where he's played really extraordinary innings. I've got a bit of a surprise that his overall record is not that good. I mean, he's as a batter, um, a test average of 20 and a first-class average of um, of just 16. And from I, from what I've seen of him, he looks a better player than that. But uh, maybe it's an outsized fear, but I'm always nervous when Jadeja and Ashwin uh, um, are playing against us with bat or ball. I've got... Um, I've seen it too many times, so I'm very, mm. very nervous about what they can do. Even though their overall records in England are okay, averaging 30 for sort of bowling all rounders is very good. But maybe you could argue that they are batting a position high. But yeah, I, I don't know. Um, that's if England do India do go with this side. There's a possibility that they could um, chop and change slightly from that. Yeah, the the, the favourite eleven seems to be that they'll go with two spinners, two quicks, and all rounders. So you'd have Jadeja, Ashwin, Thakur, Shami. Shami and Shiraz, sorry, as the five in the attack. Speaking of the attack, um, I'm a bit surprised by something. That's it. Um, Mohamed Siraj, a very fine bowler, although hasn't quite nailed it at test level yet, averaging 31, but first-class average of 25. And in England, he's got he's taken 41 wickets at 25, so very acceptable. It's Mohamed Shami, um, uh, test average of 28, first-class average of 27. On his uh, four tours of England, though, his first-class bowling averages have been 73, 39, 27, and 71. He's taken 38 wickets at an average of 41. Um, that surprised me. I thought he was a, a – unless I've got the stats wrong. I, I actually thought I should check that. I forgot I didn't. I, I think I've got them right. But um, if anyone out there has can confirm that I've got them wrong, I'll give full some apologies. But that really surprised me. And based on that, I wouldn't pick him. Based on that, you're dropping Shammy. Well – Gone. Great. Gone. I, think, I like um, him, but very surprising because I think he – I would have thought his bowling would suit those conditions. I'm going to back him. I'm going to back him to come back. I'll tell you who I'd pick instead is J.W. Natkat. He's in the side. Um, mm. He's one who surprised me in the opposite direction. Yeah, You've got, uh, you got to reward the players from the last couple of years. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Unadkad has 101 first-class games, 382 wickets at an average of 22.4. Um, and, and, you know, getting those wickets on Indian pitches, where it tends to be that, um, you know, the bowlers, fast bowlers find it more difficult over there. That's a very, very good record. I'd have him straight in there. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, Ashwin, Jadeja, they won't be as effective as they were in India against us, but... At the oval, a little bit of bounce, a little bit of turn could still cause problems. Yeah, I mean, Ashwin's record's a lot better than Jadeja's in England. Um, Jadeja, Ashwin's averages have been 34 on his first tour, but he hardly played. Then 29, 33, 25, 16. So he's taken 79 wickets at 26, whereas Jadeja's taken 24 wickets at 46 um, in English conditions. So, And Thacker's taken nine wickets at 34. So based on all that, I'd be getting a good nut cut into the side um, in 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 place of Mohammed Shami. And I know anyone listening to that will say I'm an absolute idiot, but, uh, you know, the figures don't lie, to, I, I don't think. Fair enough. Big call. Big call. All right. So is that your analysis of this Indian team? Yeah. Um, and we will, so I, we guess will... they, I guess they could, though, if they look at the pitch and there's a bit of grass, they could leave out Jadeja and bring in mm. Yudad Cat and play three quicks, Thakur and Ashwin. Um, but I think that'll be dependent on conditions. And, you know, uh, Ravi Shastri, the former in Indian coach, um, the, the team he's presented is the one you went through there. So that's the the heavy favourite. Um, but, yeah, got to take conditions into account. Now, listeners, 
Um, just one, we're sorry, gonna... one last, sorry, one last, one last thing? thing on that. Um, I was going to say, um, I don't think that Unad Katz really uh, any likelihood of playing at all. Um, mm. The other one that they've got is Axar Patel. I don't think they'd play him either. Um, Anish and Kishan. So, yeah, I suppose if they were going to bring anyone in, it would be uh, Unad Katz. So, uh, yeah, maybe there's a possibility. Um, uh, I wouldn't like him in place of Jadeja because I think he's so good. But, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he gets a game. Jadeja dropped after winning the IPL for Chennai. Um, all right, well, we're going to take a quick break, our final break, and then Paul and I have gone through a complex point system and we're <laughs> going to give you our tip for the World Test Championship final. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menes. I'm joined by Paul Dennett, and we have previewed both teams. Now, Paul, do you want to explain to the listeners the rigorous spreadsheet analysis you made me go through today? Um, no, because I didn't. Um, I We have a very simplistic model that took us both five seconds to fill out. Um, you know, well, if, I, if you I were... spent hours on it. <laughs> so... Uh, it's just a very simple scoring scoring system, and I'll I'll preface it by saying two things. One, I think that that the system what it does is kind of enables you to get a, a framework for who might win. But this is one match. If they played five thousand matches in a computer model, maybe the system would be borne out. But you know, Coley could come out second ball, Nick one, Carey dives, and he either catches it in which case Coley walks out for a, a duck or it leaves his glove and hits the ground and Coley goes on and gets 200. You know, you just get weird things happening in one-off matches. So, um, and plus, as you mentioned earlier, Menas, the conditions play such a big part in um, in England. You could look back and say, oh, poor old India, they batted on the one, you know, Australia batted on day one and it was green, green blue skies and everything else. Then by the time India batted on the afternoon of day two, it was the only three hours of overcast conditions of the match and Australia rolled them. Had the opposite occurred, then it, it might have been very different. But I think putting aside those two massive, massive points, then here's our guess for in terms of um, who's the best. Just and, just on what you, and just on what you said about the conditions, Dan Norcross even said, even in good weather, because of the variations in temperature there'll still be a little bit of movement early on whether it's sunny um because we're not quite into the peak of summer so you spot on it could be a very fine margin type situation yeah and um actually just before we get to the actual spreadsheet i was just going to say a couple of things that interested me in looking at the i, I gave some of you the um for those of you who've been worried that there haven't been enough figures in this podcast um jesus <laughs> I was just checking to see whether you're actually smiling and happiness or, or genuine um, fear then, Menace. Um, very quickly, the figures that have surprised me is, pleasantly, Stark has a, an average of 24.2 across his first-class career in England, 71 wickets. Um, Cummins is 20.8. Lyon has been to uh, England five times to play first-class cricket and has taken 68 wickets at 41. Now, I always bag line and then retract it and then bag him and then retract it. But <laughs> if I've said I wouldn't pick Shammy based on that, it's hard to pick line. And I know this is illegal. I know I've violated the constitution by saying it, but um, I don't know if I'd pick him. If, um, if he's averaging 41 in English well, conditions. Yeah, I mean, there's no way they're not going to pick him, but I know, I mean, I th- I know. But I think this is a, a, 
it's an interesting conversation if he were to get collared during the Ashes. You know, he has a bad World Test Championship. He has a bad couple of tests. Now with Todd Murphy on the sideline, you've got an alternative. Um, and he's never I, I had do... a good tour of England looking at the entire first-class record. Mm. In 2012, he took eight wickets at 49. In 2013, he took 14 wickets at 39. In 2015, he took 20 wickets at 37. In 2017, he took six wickets at 67. And in 2019, he took 20 wickets at 33. That's not too bad, but it's not real. And I think he is at the best form of his career. You know, um, it's just par for the course for me. It'll take take all 20 wickets now. Um, And don't cut this up on TikTok. (laughs) Don't cut this up on TikTok and forget to put in there that I predict he's going to get 20 wickets as well. Eventually, he'll be dropped with 700 test wickets or something. You'll get your wish. (laughs) <laughs> Age I finished it off with one more stat on Hazelwood and then I really we've got to get into the spreadsheet um, Warner's overall average is 29 and a half in England with the bat Hazelwood um, Hazelwood's Hazelwood, 24.4 with the ball yeah but we knew that would be good uh, yeah. Kawaja's 38 um, Labashain 55 Smith 59 and Head 34 those are their first class records in England alright spreadsheet time very simple just a score out of 10 for each of the top eight, purely on their batting ability. And then we have a score out of 10 for 9, 10, and 11 combined. Uh, so we'll do that first. Uh, so for the Aussies, uh, and you've got to base it on what you think they're going to do at this stage of their career against this opposition in these conditions. If it, if it was against someone in Australia, I'd give Warner a 10, but at the moment I give him a six, Menas. Well, this is Paul... Eight men as six. No, no, no. You, you haven't looked at the new one. Oh, okay. I don't have the new one. I'll just give my marks then. Yeah, I gave him yeah, a six yeah. as well. Yeah, just I gave give him a your six marks. as well. Yeah, that's what I was asking for. Um, Kawaja, I give a seven. I give him a seven as well. Labashain a ten. my marks, listeners. Labashain a ten. I give him a ten. You changed all your marks to mine, you sneaky bastard. No, I changed my marks. I gave you the indicative ones just to show you how the system works. I know, I know. And I changed my marks when I looked at the numbers. I didn't look at yours. Mate, That's right. He just on. looked at my when He's very smart. I'll copy him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Smith. You Smith, gave him I gave some, you gave nine, nine and a half. Nine and a half. Him, I don't know what you took half off, but I'm giving him 10. Head, I gave seven and a half. I gave eight. Green, seven. Seven as well, yep. Carey, seven. I gave him six. Stark, three. Agree, three on that. Oh, locks down. Um, Cummins, Lyon, and Boland. I did give one, but I'm going to promote them to two. I gave them two as well. I think Cummins and Lyon could be okay. Okay. So we both give them 59 out of 90 for the batting. All right, wow. let's switch. Exactly to... the same mark. Exactly the same mark. That one copies you being in English okay. class again or something. Now to the Indian batting. Uh, Gil, I give eight. I gave him seven because of his um, inexperience in England. Sharma, I give eight. I give seven because he's been patchy in England. I hate giving lots of eights because I, I think that's a cop out. But in this instance, I've just that's that's the way the cookie crumbled. Pajara, I give eight and a half. I'm giving him ten because he's You're been a gun in England. Bullish, bullish. Uh, Coley, I give eight. Nine. Rahane, seven and a half. Giving him eight because of his um, blistering form in the IPL. Barrett, six. Giving him three. I think he's hopeless. You gave Stark a three, so you reckon they're equal. Yeah, I think bat. I think Stark's a better bat, honestly. Why did right, you go, he... what, so why did you give him the same mark then? Well, <laughs> it's a good question. 
<laughs> anyway. Change mine to Stark. Can I give Barrett like 2.9? <laughs> no. You, you can give him 2.5 if you want. No, it's all right. We'll stick with that. All right. Uh, Jadeja, six. Six as well. Ashwin, six. Three. That seems a bit harsh. Um, and then the bottom three, Thakur, Shami, and Siraj, I've given two and a half. I've given them four because Thakur made a very good 50 against us at the Gabba in that famous win, so that bumped them up. So you think that the average of Thakur, Shami, and Siraj is better than Ashwin? Anyway. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I actually, so with- when I was marking that up, I sort of divided it up into segments in the 10 and Thakur made up like, he got a big mark. Anyway. Fair enough. Continue. Yeah, fair enough. So I give the uh, Indian batting 60.5 and Menas gives the Indian batting 57. So that means that I have the Indians one and a half in front after the batting and Menas has the Australians two in front after the batting. So between us, it's an absolute line ball, all but a dead heat um, after the batting. All right. We'll quickly do the bowling. Um, bowling, we give the... The, the, the main four bowlers a mark out of 20 and then the this. fifth bowler a mark out of 10 so that we can each so that for batting and bowling it'll be a mark out of 90 Cummins I'll give an 18 out of 20 I've done the same Stark 16 out of 20 I've given him 16 because he played one test on the 2019 actions and we won it and he bowled well so I'm giving him good marks Boland I'm giving 17 I'm giving Boland 16 and I'm giving Lyon 15. Give me line 15 as well. Um, actually, I'm going to knock line down to 14. Ooh, yeah, it's, considering those stats you read out, I'm surprised if he's cracked 10. Yeah, actually, I'll give him 13. He's got dropped even further. Dropped to 13. <laughs> um, okay, green I've given, and the greens mark is out of 10, and I've given him 7. I've given him 8. I think he could be like Glenn McGrath in England and take 8 for one day. Okay, so I've given the Australians 71 for the bowling and you've given them 73. Okay, here's the interesting one. India, uh, Shami, out of 20, I've given him 13. Wow. I gave him 18. There you go. Siraj, I've given 16. 15 for me. Um, Ashwin, I've given 15. Given him 16. And this shows what a how straight up and down I am. Jadeja, the greatest test cricketer India has ever produced with his poor figures in India, in England. I'm giving him 12 out of 20. Wow. Snubs. I'm going to give him 16. And then out of 10 for Thakur, I'm giving him seven and a half. I'm giving him five. So for the bowling, I give the Indians 63 and a half. Menas gives them 70. So for the bowling side, I have the Aussies 71. India 63 and a half, so a big win to the Aussies. And Menas has uh, Australia 73 and India 70, so a win to the Aussies, but not by as much. And the difference there for me is really green v Thakur. Um, Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, And then fielding, I give a mark out of 10. and I've given the Aussies nine and a half. Menas. I'm giving them them eight, eight because they've dropped their standards in the last couple of years. Very, very funny. And I give, funny. I think the Indians fielding is overrated. Uh, I know that people talk about Jadeja. Again, I'm going to bag the guy thinks the greatest ever. They talk about Jadeja as this phenomenal fielder. I think he's a very good fielder. I think it's a problem that he's so much better than the rest of the Indian fielding. I give them a six. Okay. And you, Menas? I give them seven. a seven. Yeah, just slightly better. 
but we're in the same ballpark there. And finally, I'll give a score out of 10 for kind of the one percenters. The, it was a thing that I put in when I was doing this because you, you want to have um, support a team like the West Indies or Pakistan and they take wickets off no balls. They drop catches. They put the field out too early. It's kind of like a professionalism, aggression, one percenter sort of thing. I've given the Australians eight. I'm giving them six because that's one area they've really dropped the ball in the last couple of years. Poor selections, you know, not knowing about net run rates. So, yeah, the one percenters is a concern for me. And the Indians, I'm giving a six. Give me a seven. Switched on. Rich. Okay. Great team. So this means that overall... You're, you listen. You're hearing the magic happen. Uh, I'm excited. This is actually really good, Paul. We're going to get uh, a very good, accurate prediction. <laughs> Give it to me. Okay. So overall, um, I have given the Australians 147 and a half out of 200. Menes has given the Australians 146 out of 200. I very have given close. the indeed. I've given the Indians 136 out of 200, and Menes has given the Indians 141 out of 200. So I have got the Aussies winning uh, 11.5 above. Menes has got them five above. So that's 16. uh, Sorry, that's um, eight and a quarter is the average difference between us. Halve that to get it as a percentage. Four and an eighth percent. So four, we'll call it four percent that the Australians nudge out the Indians. Now, what I would say on this is that's very similar to the figures that I got ahead of the last time that India were out here and beat us. So I say that this means that we both think that, uh, and me slightly more than men, is that all things being equal, conditions equal, and um, you know the, the the players perform as expected, Australia have a slight advantage. But it is by no means a substantial enough gap to say that getting a better of conditions or just having a, you know, a better match can't mean that the Indians can win. So I'd sort of say, you know, that the Australians are narrow, narrow favourites in my eyes and slightly even less favourite, narrow favourites in Menace's eyes. Can we do this game before the first Ashes test, Paul? Can we, can we, can we, please, please? <laughs> see if you can do some sort of analysis to see if um, we had an enormous percentage of the audience drop away at about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> No, we have someone put in the chat, biased Aussies, sorry. Um, all right, so that, that's it. That's it for our preview of the World Test Championship final. Paul and I have both picked Australia by the barest of margin. I can't say, I can't let Samrat Manor get away with that. This is, I use this to then put money on it. Like I I will put my, if, if, if the odds come out and that India are, you know, vastly better odds than Australia, I will have no compunction in using these numbers to then say that's, good value, I will back the Indians. So this is not biased. Um, this is us doing our very best, my friend. Jeez, normally it's me going after the listeners. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's Watch it for our World Test Championship. Um, <laughs> and so uh, lots of great podcasts coming up, lots of great podcasts that we've just released. So, look, if you're after some Ashes content, we both we interviewed John Norman from TalkSport and Dan Norcross from the BBC. So they're on the podcast feed and on YouTube so you can listen to those. Um, there's a lot of Ashes news going around, a lot more than the World Test Championship final. So we'll get into that soon. Uh, there's also some great – yes, Paul? I was just going to say um, – sorry, no, did, I was just, you finished your thing, but when you finished, I've got one more thing to say. No, go for it. Jump in. I was going to say um, 
Stephen Matlock has said he's almost as excited about the World Test Championship as your live show. Um, that is very nice to hear, um, Stephen. He's also looking forward to seeing that the um, Nathan Lyon take another Pfeiffer so we can see another Paul retraction. It's almost certain, Stephen. It's almost certain. Um, but thank you for expressing interest in the live show. Yes, so that's it. Our tickets go on sale for the Cricket Unfiltered live show, October the 14th. It's a celebration of 10 years of podcasting. So tickets go on sale this Friday, the 9th of June. So we hope you can join us um, in Sydney if you're there at the Factory Theatre. Maybe you can fly in from other parts of the country, maybe even from around the world. Who knows? We're going to make, we're going to put all our efforts into making this one great night. And then hopefully. And it'll be all three of us as well. Jaleesa will be there as well. Well, that's not. That's not really. We hope so. Like, no, she'll be there. She's she's confirmed. She'll she's be there. committed, but we fingers crossed. Um, and then um, some other news. Look, if you like cricket interviews, um, put in Menas Masterclass on your podcast feed, and you can get all the interviews that I've done with some great cricketers. I um I've now taken to making Uber drivers subscribe to our podcast. Paul had a lovely Uber driver from Pakistan last night. I made him subscribe while I was in the car, and then I told him about my interview with Wazim Akram. I said you better listen to that now. So. He drove away as quick as he could, probably put on some music or something. Um, <laughs> but he said he was a big cricket fan, said he was playing today, uh, all round up. And what about Dennett's deep dive? Um, if you go back through the uh, the archive, you'll find some really uh, interesting ones about uh, Bill O'Reilly and some, some of the history of um, the broadcasting of cricket. And also, um, if you switch on to... Uh, TikTok, I have my countdown, which I've been working on and changing it every day. I think it's going to be my top 55 Ashes moments in England um, ever. And I'm going to do a countdown starting from 55. I won't do 55 TikToks, but I might do maybe 11 and do five in each. Um, or I might do none if life gets in the way. So it might it might end up being nothing <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> Go to our TikTok page and be ready for my top 55 Ashes in England moments starting soon, possibly. Yeah, and also get, to get into the Ashes spirit, I got an interview with Mike Whitney, former Australian fast bowler, who was plucked from county mm. cricket to play in the 1981 Ashes. So we've got some great yarns, and that'll be released later this week. Also, um, if you want to support the show, you can go onto our Patreon page. You get early access to the interviews. But if you've got a um, bit of spare money and want to help us um, through to provide coverage, then you can go onto our Patreon page. The links are in the show notes. Paul, we're going to have a sleepless week. We're going to be there. We're going to be doing live shows throughout the World Test Championship final. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Paul, what a preview. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Minas. Yeah, six tests in seven weeks. It's going, to be, uh, it's going to be fun, but it's going to be challenging. Thanks, guys. We'll be back soon. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.